This is First Contact, stories of the call center. Brought to you by Noble Biz, your one-stop shop for all your contact center needs, both carrier and software. Each show, we talk to industry leaders on how they got their start in the call center industry, because let's be honest, it's not a dream job. Find all our episodes, you can go to our website, that's www.nobelbiz.com. Hit subscribe on our YouTube channel, or follow us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify for future episodes. This is episode six. Today, we're joined by Rebecca Johnston, the CEO of Numerical. And if other shows she's been on are any indication, a fun, cool, and extremely knowledgeable person to talk to. She calls herself a forever entrepreneur, and through her work at Numerical, she's helping to establish trust and communication based on integrity, transparency, and accountability. She's been a longtime partner of Noble Biz on the carrier side, and she's also on the stir shaken standards body, which is definitely something we'll have to go into. Rebecca, it's a real pleasure to have you on. How's it going? Great. Thanks for having me. I'm looking forward to this conversation. Yeah, well, since this is the first time we're ever talking, we'll have to get to know each other a little better, right? So right. For, those, for those in the audience that may not know you, though, let's really kind of get into the, the first things here. So um, you have Forever Entrepreneur up on LinkedIn. You have it around. What does that mean? Well, I think in order to truly be considered an entrepreneur, uh, not only do you have to be an innovator, um, but the key element is that you take on all the risk, all the financial risk that comes with success or failure. And that's truly what an entrepreneur is. And in doing so, it also means that I have control over the company, the vision and the direction. So it's a Something I've learned I will always be, and I'm very protective of my ability to maintain that role of entrepreneur as well. Well, that seems like a major driver for you because there's people that, what you just said, taking all that responsibility is kind of scary. They want to go in, they get their role, and they go home, right? Seems like that's always on. You're always going to be that entrepreneur. It's not like a switch per se, you turn off. So uh, that driver for you, um, had to have been something that you've had for a long time, right? You've always wanted to be an entrepreneur or is this something later in life you said, you know what, I want to be my own boss. You know, I always knew that there was something that I was going to do and every job and role that I've had, even since I was a kid, um, I always felt like it was a, a lesson. I was in my training. And so when you go with that mindset through your career, uh, you absorb and take as many lessons uh, that you can. You learn what to do, you learn what not to do. And then the moment came when life said, Rebecca, it is time for you to walk within your calling. You are going to take this leap. And I felt very prepared. Um, And if I had started this in my 20s, it would have been an utter failure. I'm very thankful that I had, you know, 38 years of life. Uh, to uh, prepare for the moment to finally take that risk. Well, that's awesome. And, you know, I think one of the traditions, especially the core part of this show, is really to look and say, well, where did you start, right? How did this begin? And especially the biggest piece for us is, how'd you get in the call center industry? Because as you know, no one wakes up and goes, you know what? I want to work in a call center. Even though for a lot of people, it becomes their dream job. So walk me through the beginnings, you know, start me off with, How did the early career start for you and how did that somehow get into the call center space? 
Yeah. Well, I actually started off wanting to be a lawyer. I always wanted to be a lawyer, uh, oddly enough, since I was a kid. And I even have a speech from high school that I found where I was determined to be a lawyer. And that was what, what I was going to do to save the world. Um, then technology became a big boom. I grew up around computers and I fell in love with technology. So when I got my degree, honestly, uh, when I got my first job offers, my parents looked at me and said, you are not going to law school, go to work <laughs> because there was money. So uh, I jumped off into technology right away, doing development and coding, started um, professional job when I was 19 years old. Um, and so technology and compliance just seems to be something that I, I naturally fit into. Um, before I got into the call center space, I was actually working for innovative emergency management. Um, in fact, I was working in DC with Department of Defense, Homeland Security for the demilitarization of our weapons of mass destruction. I know this seems like a lot. Training the military, building the systems for that. Loved it. Um, and then got relocated to Alabama and I needed a job after having a couple of children. And there was a job for healthcare communications. And I thought, well, I know technology, I know communications, that's important. So let me jump in. I gotta say, it was the people in this industry that I fell in love with. So has it become my dream job? Absolutely. What I learned very quickly is the call center space is the place for people, the hardworking Americans to have a job. It doesn't matter your degree, whether it's a GED or if you have a bachelor's degree, you can get started in this career and elevate based on your level of effort that you put into it. And um, so I just fell in love with that. And now in this role at Numerical, I feel like it's my job to preserve this economic uh, stability for a lot of the hardworking Americans. So that, that genuinely is the passion behind what I do. Well, that's awesome to know that that journey brought you to a place in which you can say that this is your dream job. And it's true. I've heard that, you know, whenever you work in this space, there's people that have their story of starting at the bottom and working their way up. Right. And really, they're, they are their only um, uh, obstacle in getting to where they want to be. In many cases, people have had some great stories where they start off as an agent. Now they own a center or they branched off into different uh, ancillary products, uh, which you're one of, right? One of your products works in that space, but it's not necessarily running a call center. So, you know, in your series of videos on numerical.com, you come off as this very refreshing, no BS, just business leader in the call center space. So it seems like you're telling the truth, you're a truth teller, right? And so how does it feel being that truth teller, that storyteller, that, that front end, uh, truth to power kind of uh, voice uh, when you're talking with a conjunction of, you know, people that may not be that way, or uh, you're kind of uh, working with different people that, uh, you know, are, are much more just go with the flow and don't really speak to it. So how does it feel now being in that position, being in that position of telling the truth? Do you find yourself um, getting any friction? Do you feel empowering? What does it feel like to be in that role now for a while? So um, the truth is something that my father taught me, and he said, the truth stands alone. And I learned that in high school. And, um, and it had to do with, I was dealing with, you know, people saying certain things about me. And I would say, why are they saying these things? It's not the truth. My dad said, Rebecca, truth stands alone. It doesn't need anything else to support it. And so I started walking in that truth stands alone. And it is applied to my roles and my jobs and through my career. And it brought it into numerical. People want truth. 
And unfortunately, we live in a space where the truth gets cluttered because there is greed, there is pride, there is power, there is money, and you have all these things that kind of push out truth. Well, I'm not driven or motivated by any of those things. Uh, you'll learn very quickly, it's not gonna work. We need to have truth, we need to deal with truth. And as a CEO, I want the facts, whether good or bad, I need to have them so that I can make the best decisions for my company. And I strongly believe in the call center space, the CEOs that I know to that point, they're hardworking, they got to that point, you have to protect your business, you have to protect the decisions that you're making to advance your company. You need truth. And so no, I saw nobody was providing the truth. They're just giving their perspectives and opinions, but not really focusing in on the truth, even if the truth doesn't benefit you. That's the hard part. And so being a truth is, teller is actually, um, it's a responsibility. Uh, and it comes with a burden on it too. I have to constantly check every single day, what information am I giving? I do know when I make a statement, I can back it up with a ton of evidence. The trick to being a truth teller is you keep your mouth shut when you don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> so then I come across that that's the only thing I'm sharing. Uh, so I'll talk about what I know about and what I can uh, back up. And then the rest, you just got to be quiet, but not everybody does that. They just talk. Yeah, well, you know, in that vein, right, we're now talking about talking and things that are truth and not truth. And this kind of goes back to where numerical fits in, right, is there's a lot of people that use voice as the communication channel right? You make outbound calls, you receive inbound calls, all the call centers around have that as a large portion of their business. And so when you look at that and you see there's a lot of bad actors out there, they're all trying to do something nefarious, take something of value from people. You and I are consumers. We hate it when we get calls that we absolutely know are bad actors, right? But there's right. all these legitimate businesses that need to get their communications across, right? And so you've really been a voice for those companies that are saying, hey, I'm doing the right thing. I'm trying to get my calls across. And they're not necessarily being treated the same way uh, as a good actor would be or would have been in the past. And so you've repeatedly been that voice. So there's these unintended consequences from what the FCC has done to try to address illegal and bad behavior uh, when it comes to robocalls. So among all that, though, even though there's so much agreement, how have you and or numerical been able to manage getting your point across that, hey, the legitimate businesses are somehow also getting stuck in the middle of what you're trying to address? Yeah. And that, and it really comes back to that theme of the truth. The truth um, wants to be heard and it wants to be known and it has to stand up and out from all of the other chaos. So if you think about it from legal callers versus illegal callers, the legal callers want to say, I am who I say I am. Trust me. And that should mean something. That should absolutely mean something and be transferred down to the consumer who has a relationship. So now this truth is coming over into trust, right? The bad actors, they aren't truthful. They're going to hide who they are. And we've seen this in our process. Um, Numerical is the only one that created a know your customer type of vetting service. Uh, because I knew it would shine the spotlight on the bad guys. They do not want to reveal who they are. So fine, you go hide in the dark. You go stay over there. Uh, eventually, one day, you will not get to traverse your calls across the network. I, I do believe we will get there. But 
That'd be a nice day. Yeah, it would be a nice day. They're going to find some other method and then I'll go over there and solve that too. Uh, (laughs) But, you know, for the, for the legal companies, because my background is in the compliance, there's that lawyer side of me. I always wanted to, to get into law. So I, I understand the, um, uh, the compliance to deliver calls. And that should mean something. They're putting in the effort. They're doing the hard work. They're getting the right tools. Um, they're getting partners like NobleViz where compliance is a part of the solutions that they offer. And that means something. And it should mean something on the terminating side. And she means something to display to consumers so that through this truth that we can get a level of trust back into communications. And I think that's the only way you, you fight dark with light. That's all that this is right here. So let's let's kind of go back to all all these things don't just come out of nowhere, right? Some group or people decide, hey, this is a good idea. We should implement or allow the following things to happen so that we can protect the consumer, right? And I'm all for protecting the consumer. I also want to do it in a way that protects businesses, which also mm-hmm. protect consumers, right? Because the consumer doesn't get valuable communication, they're actually being harmed as well. So all the all the people that are participating in making the rules, do you think they took into account the people who were making the calls and the people that actually are doing the right thing? Or was this all just a, hey, this sounds like a good idea. Let's just do it and hope for the best. Yeah, so I was a part of um, the FCC's robocall strike force uh, under Chairman Wheeler at the time at the FCC. And um, the spirit of it, absolutely, I can get behind with regards to stopping the bad actors. And I think the complaints uh, and the cry for help from consumers was so much that, you know, like with your child, you know, you're going to quickly just give them whatever it is that they want. Here's your lollipop, right? Okay, just be quiet and go on. Uh, We had to solve a problem. We had to uh, subdue the complaints and get this uh, covered. The problem is, is that the tactic and approach that was taken because patience wasn't necessarily a part of um, the process on how to solve the problem. It was just quick. Let's get a quick fix, solve the problem. We like threw a net out. We caught the bad guys while we also caught the good guys. And that I felt like was my responsibility uh, in this space. I genuinely believe that this is a calling. Um, I was put on the FCC's robocall strike force uh, and I had a unique vision and perspective into what we were doing. So I raised the flag. And then it was like, uh, uh-uh, uh, be quiet. We just have to do this thing. So I was sitting on the sidelines, ready for the phone call <laughs> to say, "Wow, everything you said was going to happen. Yeah, it's happening, and we need help." And so uh, I, I have to give credit to the major carriers. I have to give credit to the FCC, the FTC, the Department of Justice. There's a lot of players involved, and they recognize and acknowledge very quickly once they started to see we've got some unintended consequences and we need to solve for that. And so that's why we are where we are today with regards to the call blocking and labeling registration service. That was my idea and invention that uh, created a path forward. Others are picking up on it and using it as well, which is great. We have a you know greater span of what we're covering here to protect. And then the next level that we're going to is stir shaken. So that's why you'll see, and I know we're going to get to that, um, but the enterprise, so that's a concept that I brought into the standards group because there was a need of that vision and that view of what's the impact on the enterprise when we deploy a trust model. So we're just elevating that truth over into the trust model so that it can be uh, transferred from origination to termination. I'm hopeful, I'm optimistic, um, but it's a lot of work. It is a lot of work. So obviously you were on a magnificent magnificent piece right there. Just now let's convert off of 
uh, how everybody really did a great job in saying that, hey, there's unintended consequences and there's something that should be done. So how do we springboard that with your work with the strike force, the FCC, with all the work that you did in your past? And now we're starting to go, okay, so numerical, what is numerical? What does numerical do? And what is its purpose? Because it sounds like we've touched a little bit upon it, but love to hear what's going on there. Yeah, so it's just a natural progression from that uh, foundation of uh, truth and I am who I say I am, treat me with a certain level of trust to the subscribers. Stir Shaken just becomes the avenue, the highway, the byway, whatever you want to call it, through which that trust can transfer. And that's a beautiful thing uh, that we are implementing on the communication side for, for voice channel. It's a heavy lift for the carriers. It's a heavy ask for them to implement and upgrade their uh, infrastructure to support the delivery of trust from origination to termination. But the reason why we get trust is because everybody's identified from beginning to end. Everybody raises their hand in the stir shaken space to say, I am a part of the delivery of this call. I know who the entity is that's putting the call on my network. And on the terminating side, uh, they work out a way that they can trust. Okay, I trust that you are who you say you are. You have the ability and the authority to sign these calls. Therefore, we're going to pass that trust off to the consumer. Now, this all falls apart just like in any relationships that you have, if we are not truthful, uh, if we have and allow bad actors onto our network. What I do love about the Stir Shaken framework is the establishment of the GA, the PA, and the CAs. There's a bit of oversight that can occur. And if we have someone that's abusing the privilege to deliver the trust, you get revoked. Right. So now we have this new enforcement type of mechanism that we didn't have before. I mean, the FCC's hands are tied. It's very challenging uh, to be able to identify who truly is with a high level of confidence and reliability. Who put this call in the network? Who is the uh, call center supporting it? Who is the CPAS provider? Who is the originating carrier? We can get that level of trust. And then once everybody realizes the new rules of the game that you have to identify who you are, our behavior and attitudes change a little bit different. Perhaps the way that we deliver communications might change a little bit. I think this, the consumer at the end of the day is going to truly benefit from it, but it really requires everyone to participate in this ecosystem. Otherwise, the consumer, they get some uh, numbers they were told that they should trust and they can't trust. Everything else is suspect. That's just the way that it works with humans. So uh, it's all on us to do, it, do what's right uh, and do our part on this. So for those who don't know what Stir Shaken is, do you have a quick little snippet of like, hey, this is what it is. And so that way people understand what it's supposed to do instead of it just being a, you know, a, a joke or reference to James Bond. Yeah, it's, it's really um, kind of what I referred to. It is a, I call it a highway for trust. Um, right now, anonymity is the bad guy's friend in the voice network. So we're going to remove anonymity with Stir Shaken and, it's, and it is a set of standards, protocols, best practices, how the voice channel can operate in a trust model. 
And it is really complex. Um, it's not just a, oh, here's a list of things to check off. Um, it requires technology to be upgraded to an IP infrastructure for data packets, right? To, to be able to be delivered across. It requires new policies for the originating service provider to implement. It requires new technologies for authentication services and verification services. It's an entire infrastructure uh, on how to just simply deliver trust across a network. And so we're literally re-engineering something that's been around for a very long time to remove anonymity. And that to me is the biggest challenge of what Stir Shaken does. It challenges that. It requires the carriers to have to create this infrastructure. So that's why it's going to take a while. <laughs> it's not something uh, very quick, but don't have to worry about the technical aspects. It's just an avenue to deliver trust. So the information we put on this little highway has to be trustworthy too. So to kind of digest that and put it into an extremely simple form, really it's the trust we're talking about is the phone number, right? Yes. And so when consumers reach a call on their device, they can trust that that phone number does or does not come from who owns or has permission to use that phone number. So right. the idea of spoofing or illegally spoofing a number you don't own or don't have permission to use will be easier to potentially differentiate when you get a phone call. And ultimately, it gives a mechanism for uh, the bad actors could be traced back to. So there's a path that goes back to the bad actors. And so where does numerical fit in on this holster shaken piece? What is it that you do in relation to it? Are you just part of the education side. I know you, you do work with the stir shake and standards body, uh, the IPN and I task force, but any other pieces around there? So there's an interesting element. Um, I mentioned originating and terminating side. Numerical fits in on the originating side uh, because we're making our way all the way down to who's the entity behind the call. And so we have a know your customer uh, process. That's our numerous search. Mm -hmm. And we verify and vet the identity of the entity behind the call and elevate that to the originating service provider so that for their local policy where they have to make a decision, what do I know about the entity behind this call and what do I know about their authorization to use that number? Chances are they don't know much. So I want to be an entry point for trust to fit into the stir shaken model. Without numerical, I think the stir shaken framework is not as powerful uh, as we would hoped it would have been. Um, but that's how I see our role. And we are very active in working on that uh, to support our clients on the enterprise side that once you've been verified, which all of our clients have already gone through, that means something that integrates into the stir shaken framework elevate it to the originating service provider and transfer that trust. So in other words, Stir Shaken truly is a framework that companies like Numerical are building on top of, right? Yes. So there's this, there's this path that's there and now that there's this foundation, you're building on top of that to add what we call in today's podcast is trust, right? You're adding that trust layer on top of this framework so that your enterprise call, uh, customers that are originating these calls have a little bit of visibility into that these calls, these people are legitimate. How many times does a call have to drop? How many times do customers have to complain about noise? With Nobel Biz Omni Plus, your work from home concerns are a thing of the past. Why worry about noise during calls when you can just send a text? 
WhatsApp traffic tripled during the pandemic, so why aren't you on there? Nobelbiz OmniPlus offers a seamless experience custom tailored for the at-home call center. With all the social media integrations, plus the traditional ones like voice, email, video, SMS in a single platform. Go to nobelbiz.com to find out more. What happens if an agent can't take calls because they have little ones? Simple, you can just reassign that agent to handle only text-based conversations. OmniPlus allows you to do that. So once again, go to nobelbiz.com to check it out. That's N-O-B-E-L-B-I-Z.com to get a free license for six months. So let's talk about, you know, the legalities of of illegal calls versus legal calls. When we talk about the word robocall, right? Everyone says robocall is a bad word. I mean, you just hear it's like, oh, no, no, I don't do robocalls. But when you go back to it and you look at robocalls, there's a lot of calls that fall into the bucket of robocalls, a lot that we actually rely on. So can you give us some insight into your understanding of, you know, hey, what are these legal robocalls that somehow everyone feels doesn't exist uh, that you know are very important. Yeah, it's, it, here's what's interesting is uh, we try to use technology such as Stir Shaken and you'll hear statements that, oh, this will eliminate illegal robocalls. I'm sorry. That is so far from the truth. Uh, the reality is that the legality of the call is determined outside of this framework. You have to look at the FCC's TCPA, the FTC's TSR, and then let's throw in some rules from the CFPB. Let's throw in some state rules on top of that. And legal calls is all about the consent. There are some other elements that are associated with it, but mostly it comes down to consent to deliver the call. Um, that is something the carriers don't have visibility into. That is something stir shaken solution providers don't have visibility into. So um, that's really what determines that a call is legal or illegal is about that consent. Um, so I still think that we're falling short with regards to stir shaken on the ability to distinguish between legal or illegal. I can be a legal entity and I can have a set of numbers to call and um, I could blast everybody and I could look like I'm legit, but if I don't have consent, that's an illegal call. Um, and that's still a challenge to get that type of information into this trust framework. Um, and, to, and to your point on some of these calls, I think consumers, when I look at the messages that or the complaints that are delivered, they're not aware that maybe they signed up for or provided consent. So this entity who's delivering the call could very well believe, well, we have consent, this is legal, but the consumer doesn't feel like it was a legal call because they don't recall providing that consent. So a lot of things get caught up in that space. It's, it's more difficult to determine those, but what we can all agree upon are the IRS scam calls, the social security number calls. There are some that are just pure fraud all day long and those need to be stopped. So how do we distinguish between the two? One of the key elements is you know, those fraudsters on the uh, social security number scams, 
they're not going to reveal themselves. They're not going to go through a vetting. They're going to hide, hide, hide. Um, so that's our only potential is to maybe really truly eliminate the, the fraud fraud, but then we're going to enter this new space of legal entities <laughs> communicating with consumers that just don't want to be con you know, communicated with. I don't know what the world looks like for call centers once we get to that point. Um, we'll just have to be aware of, you know, hearing the consumer's voice at that point. So let's say we remove the word illegal from robocalls and just say the shorthand when people say, oh, robocalls equals bad. So if tomorrow all robocalls stopped, what kind of calls that people actually want or need would actually go away and they wouldn't realize those are deemed robocalls? You got any examples? First, yeah. First off of uh, top of my mind are the appointment reminders. Um, uh, in fact, um, even during this time with the uh, COVID communications, there are COVID tracking calls um, that are important to find out who's had testing, um, how do we get you the results of your testing. Those are, those are important calls that um, could absolutely be blocked. Um, and then now we have a situation where blocking those types of calls causes harm, far greater harm than an unwanted call uh, to consumers. And that's always my fear. Um, is that we are, unfortunately, consumers are not aware that there are certain calls that are important to their life and safety, um, but because they thought, well, I just don't want to receive bobo calls, they end up blocking all of those calls. Another important call might be the, you know, the call that you get from some stranger who happens to come across a car accident that your child was in, and they're going to call you. If you are using the Apple feature to just shut off anybody who's not in your contacts, you will not get that phone call. That's not a risk I think consumers should take. Um, and they should be able to demand something a little bit better than that. <laughs> so yeah, so I think some common ones to add to that, right? Or you know, for my daughter, especially when she's at school, is the school reminders that come out or uh, uh, notifications that come from the schools, uh, your utilities, mm -hmm. whenever there's going to be a planned outage or something like that, that you have voices to channel, your reminders maybe for your prescriptions, like you said, appointment reminders. Uh, there's a lot of messages, informational that get sent out to people in mass amounts to be able to notify them of something, right? Or to notify them something will happen. And we may just not be bucketing those. It's like, oh, no, no, of course, I want those. But those are the ones that it's not easy, like you said, to differentiate the bad actor, good actor, because they don't know who's actually making those calls and they can't trust who is the entity that actually is making calls with those numbers. So hopefully with the work you're doing and in conjunction with the frameworks with uh, stir shaken. The idea is here is to allow call originators to have more trust associated to their calls, right? So when we look at that, I know there are uh, some specific things that happen in this space when we talk about legal versus illegal robocalls. And I think that's the challenge, right? Is it's very difficult to define what's legal and what's not legal through these in particular frameworks. And I think you stated that well. So let's kind of move from that piece of it and let's kind of move on to, um, you know, around you had mentioned the pandemic and COVID-19 and we've seen that there's um, a lot of scams, right? Uh, according to a recent report, there's over 52,000 Americans that have fallen for various types of COVID-19 scams. So from your side, protecting the legitimate callers and of course the consumers, um, do you think that that number is low or high? Do you see from your end that that's actually a major issue that's going on right now and that we'll continue to see it during this time? 
Uh, unfortunately, when it comes to bad actors, they're always looking for opportunities to uh, attack their victims when they're weakest. That's that's how they work. That's how they operate. And so um, I definitely uh, do believe that there are there is a rise, and we've seen it from the FCC. They're definitely tracking it. The TraceFact group is doing a good job of staying on top of what are the scams uh, that are going on that are COVID-related, which unfortunately compounds the challenge for the truly important COVID calls. So numerical's role uh, in this uh, to protect the good ones um, versus you know the bad ones. Uh, we established the critical calls registry. We were the first. It only took us a couple of days. That's what happens when you're an entrepreneur. Uh, <laughs> you can very quickly turn out innovation without any challenges. And so we immediately uh, con connected with our partners, with the carriers, let them know that we were doing this to protect the uh, truly important COVID calls because yes, there were states, there were hospitals, there were police, their calls were being labeled fraud and spam. Not surprising. And so panic was setting in for these uh, groups that were trying to deliver important messages during this time. Uh, but it's unfortunate that uh, anytime there is fear, uncertainty, and doubt, uh, the scammers are going to exploit it. And so we just have to be still uh, individually be responsible, um, aware of who we're talking to, and feel free to question whoever is on the other line. Um, and get information from them before you exchange or provide personal information. Well, that's really important advice because it's it's really unfortunate that the ex exploiting people when they're most vulnerable. You can think of everything from whenever there's massive hurricanes or any type of disasters. There's always going to be people saying, "Hey." we're collecting money to help people in this space We're we're trying to get you something uh, to get you services. Um, obviously right now with COVID-19, that's another piece you have even people talking about right now that people are exploiting the black lives matter movement. There's a lot of things right now that where there is passion, where there is pain, where there is concern, where there's money to be made, these bad actors go in there. So outside of some of the things you put in place. Do you have any recommendations or specific things that a call originator could do to help protect their legitimate, important communication when they know they're going through a sea of a lot of bad actors that are exploiting such terrible uh, things that are going on? Especially for those in the survey and um, uh, charity organizations that um, have been operating before all of this, the only thing and the most important thing that you can do right now is to register your numbers, go through a verification and vetting service, such as the one that Numerical has. And, and that's your way of saying, I am who I say I am. These are legitimate calls. I do have consent. And that information gets distributed down to the carriers and app providers who are making decisions. And it allows them to do a separation. You're trying to filter the good from the bad. And if you can provide more information to them that I am the good guy, and they know what, the, what it looks like. They understand the traffic and the patterns versus the bad guys. And hopefully we really are de uh, dependent upon the terminating providers to then present that information to the subscriber. Numerical does not control, nor do we want to control what the terminating providers and app providers present to subscribers, but consumers can demand uh, to have certain information presented to them. If you can't get enough of Christian's voice and want more of that awesome mellow tone, go to nobelbiz.com and click on webinars. 
How have these challenging times impacted you? Is remote work difficult for your call center? How can you make sure your agents are actually working? We have the answers to these questions, plus actionable tips on how to get your contact center up to speed. Once again, go to nobelbiz.com slash webinar dash series to find all our recordings. That's N-O-B-E-L-B-I-Z dot com and click on the webinars button. So really, when it comes down to letting yourself be known, um, we've also seen that watching out, one, how you manage your number inventory, how you use your phone numbers, and separately your dialing strategy, how do you actually manage your dialing practices, those in combination with you being visible uh, is really going to be helpful for you to, like you said, separate yourself. But would you say there's a silver bullet, a magic switch or a wand that you flip and it just all goes away? Or would you say that you actually have to be constantly on top of this aware and putting a multi-tactic uh, approach to be able to help address some of these things or mitigate at minimum some of the challenges? Christian, you are hitting like my soapbox. <laughs> I set it up here. Uh, we see success and failure from our clients on the same platform. So I have to go, what's the difference here? Why do some of our clients succeed and really succeed well? And others are just tanking their contact rates. Rates aren't going anywhere. It's all about their strategy, what you mentioned. It is a combination of number hygiene, who your partners are that provide you numbers that uh, put your calls on the network. It's all the players involved, how you present yourself to the, uh, the network, honestly, your behavior on the network, and then ultimately to consumers because the consumer can file complaints. So it could be maybe your messaging that once the consumer hears doesn't align with what they understood their relationship was with you. So it comes across suspect boom, they're going to complain about it. So that might be something that you need to do with your messaging. We've seen that. It could also be the number management. If you're using a TN provider who is sitting there rotating numbers because everybody is rotating numbers, you might be picking up numbers that are hot, meaning they were just used for some other campaign and whoop, they're coming over here going, sure, yeah, it's a fresh number to you, but it's not fresh to the network. So you inherit the bad behaviors. So you've got to have a good partner who also manages um, the services that they provide. Uh, another element is, um, you know, constantly swapping out to try to hide behind spam. I'm sorry, the whack-a-mole approach is not going to work for you and you can scream at me all day long that you wanted to. It's not going to do anything. So, um, you know, there's a lot of emotion around uh, number management and I think it really, you need to have good partners and good vendors um, who can offer up additional strategies. Uh, and the types of calls that you're delivering. Another thing that I, I hate to say, but it could be a reality, perhaps the type of message that you're delivering across this particular number that you're using, consumers just don't want that message over that over a call. You know, that's, that's something we need to consider as well and not force the consumer to use the channel, let consumers use the channel of choice. Ultimately, you just wanna get a message to them that moves them to do something. So be aware of that. Yeah, those are all great points. And I think we've seen with our customers as well is, you know, if you just want to get a brand new number every single hour and just use it, throw it away, use it, throw it away, like as if they're just little like tissues, uh, right. you're, 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 you're creating uh, part of uh, the problem for yourself. And we've also seen, and I think you've stated before uh, really well is 
if you use the same phone number for like 15 different things, or if you're an outsourcer for different clients and you're sharing these numbers across a bunch of different reasons and purposes and complaints, that also causes problems for people. So you really have to be able to align with someone who knows how to align each of these tactics in a way that acts as an aggregate to give you a better position in mitigating some of this pain versus just throwing stuff at it and hoping for the best. Cause there are unfortunately a lot of people that do that, that just say, I just want a quick fix and move on. And the reality yeah. is like you said, that's why you see the disparity between performance and non-performance. So that's awesome. I appreciate that insight. And I definitely want to get to this last piece for, for uh, our audience, because you know, you have your own videos, you're very convincing, very charismatic. Honestly, some people have asked, so I have to ask it here. Have you ever thought about running for office? Yeah, so, uh, so I, it is an interesting question that I've been getting lately. Um, and uh, I gotta say, so this morning, I was doing my usual run in DC and I love to go visit Lincoln. And um, so I was running along and actually thinking about this question um, as I'm running through DC. And um, I think it actually to me is telling me maybe where we're at as a country or where we're at as a people. Um, if there's a reason why you look at me and think, why don't you run for office? I would say, well, what is it that you're seeing in me that's lacking in leadership? And what I think people are seeing in me is I have some mercy and grace and very empathetic, but I also fight for justice. And so it's the two combined that we don't see in leadership today. Um, the other element too is the truth. So the, in order to have a foundation of truth, it means that I have a freedom, a freedom to speak. There are no consequences for telling the truth for me. And I've learned that in the political space and living in DC, some of them face consequences if they truly were truthful, right? Uh, they might lose their role or lose some funding, whatever it may be. So I, I, I take that question and I actually reflect back on the individuals who are asking it to me. And I think it just represents perhaps we're missing some mercy and some justice and a good fighter. Um, who knows? Maybe I'll run for office. Um, I will say that my heart's always been called towards D.C. Uh, as you can imagine, I was a little girl and I used to convince my friends to come over with cookies and popsicles and put them out on the, the front lawn. And I would actually give speeches. And this is kindergarten, first grade. Um, some of them I have recorded on cassette somewhere. <laughs> um, and I always felt called to D.C. I feel like I'm living that calling right now because now I live here. Uh, what the future holds, I don't know. But um, if we're a country still in the need of some mercy and justice, uh, I'm your girl. <laughs> well, to add to that, now let's add, you know, uh, we, we got the truth teller. We got somebody that uh, doesn't have the fear of speaking their mind. And, you know, if people don't like it, the consequences that you live with, you're totally capable and willing to do so. You don't fear the consequences, which I think where that question comes from. There's a lot of people that know in, in D.C. that's not always the case. Have you ever dreamed of perfect calls? Do you ever wonder how much time you'd save? How awesome would it be if you had only uninterrupted calls? Thankfully, these dreams are real. If you're a call center, we can do that for you. The Noble Biz Carrier of Carriers Network assures uninterrupted calls through a worldwide series of servers designed for one purpose and one purpose only, to deliver crystal clear quality. But how do we know we're so good? It's because we're a true carrier. We control the quality, the network, and the servers. And we said, let's give it all we've got. 
go to noblebiz.com and search for world-class voice under technology. Once again, that's N-O-B-E-L-B-I-Z.com and look for world-class voice. Now let's go to something a little bit funner, right? Because um, this is near and dear to my heart. Um, my understanding is you like hot sauce on your eggs. That's right. always, always been that way? Or is that kind of someone turned you on to that at some point? That's living most of my life in Louisiana. So, uh, you know, the joke is I like, I like eggs with my hot sauce. I like gumbo with my hot sauce. I like cornbread with my hot sauce. <laughs> so, yeah, hot sauce just kind of kicks things up. And uh, I, I feel like when I show up to an event, you know, I'm there to kick things up. So it's just part of my personality. <laughs> well, that's good. I'm kind of the opposite, though. I'm more of, can I get some food with my hot sauce? But it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> In New Orleans, it's great for all kinds of options of hot sauce. There's literally a store on Bourbon Street that is nothing but hot sauce all the way around. So it's one of my favorites that I visit. Yeah. I'm not always just about the heat. I also really like the flavor. So if it's good flavor, then then we're talking. So, you know, we're obviously in a pandemic right now, considering even though my my background looks really nice and, and wonderful and I'm living in paradise, um, you know, we're, we're all remote, right? Or many of us are. So how's this time been for you, right? How's quarantine been? How has been remote? Or you've always been remote? Kind of walk me through a little bit, just how has this uh, pandemic been? And how are things going, spending your time during this time? Yes, yeah, so i um, been remote. I've actually been uh, a remote worker for, gosh, almost like eight years or so. So before I even launched uh, Numerical, so that didn't change. Definitely the presence of children um, uh, constant in the household <laughs> was a change. They're so trying to run a company um, and also being an educator at the same time uh, was a bit of a challenge. Uh, but I saw it, it's just my personality. I've had so many little disasters happen in my life and, and we all have a choice to look at the negative, what we're missing, or look at the positive and what we have. And so in looking at the positive of what we have, um, it did create an opportunity for bonding, you know, with the family. Um, we do um, more activities. My kids actually finally are starting to run and cycle with me. Um, it's been solo for so long, so I'm excited that they're they're starting to participate in that. We're doing hiking uh, once we finally got to the phases where we could come out. So I think it's just a matter of perspective on how you view your situation. And I'm going to quote, it's not mine. It's this precious girl that I used to babysit for. She's now a grown woman. Uh, but, um, and I'm going to provide links to it. But she talked about during this time is disruption or an interruption. And if we view this as an interruption, then it's just fear and it's disaster and nothing comes from that. But if it's a disruption in your life, that means a shift. And I did feel like that in the beginning of this. I said, we're shifting. We're shifting as a country. We're shifting as people. We're shifting as companies, right? So view the situation as a disruption and then figure out what direction are you supposed to be heading in now and then full speed ahead. That's my little tidbits of advice on how to look through this. Time. Well, that's awesome. And I couldn't have put it better myself. I think when it comes to exactly the way you stated of, you know, I have family at home working full time, have a child, um, getting out and outside. Uh, you know, I don't think you can find a pool or a, or a bike anywhere without, you know, finding them either at really high price or they're out of stock because people <laughs> are forced to be home. They're trying to get things. So hopefully there is a lot of positive change out of such a difficult time for so many for those that can start to see what other ways they can look at it as an interruption or disruption, which is, I, I think, a great term. So it's been great, Rebecca, having you on. Um, I think people have loved tuning into it. 
Um, I, I don't want to forget uh, anybody needs to share it, share it with your friends, with colleagues. But Rebecca, this is your spotlight now. Go ahead, talk a little bit about what you're doing at uh, what are you going to be and you know how can people find you well numericals here to help companies i want to preserve uh choice and options for those in the contact center space enterprises whatever you may be step one register your numbers if you are not doing something to register your numbers whether it's numerical or some other service please for the sake of your company you need to register your numbers verify who you are identify yourself and get that distributed into the network numerical is uh, here to play that role for you um, and then also um, i just want to promote that numerical is definitely active on the stir shake inside I do things behind the scene a little bit. Perhaps I'm not as open with what we're doing, uh, but when the time is right, it will be revealed uh, with regards to how we can help on the stir shaken side. One thing you'll know is I will fight for truth. I will fight for your identity to be protected and delivered. And that's a guarantee when you come to Numerical. So uh, thanks for giving me this opportunity to, to kind of share some of my story, Christian, and um, share what Numerical's doing. Well, I would love having you. So where can people find you? So um, numerical.com, uh, you can go to that site. We also are on Medium. Um, I'm really proud of the talk about education, awareness, and truth. Um, follow us on Medium for blogs and articles um, that are really questions that have been asked to us. We want to provide the information out and make you aware so you can make the best decisions. So uh, numerical.com, and then you'll be able to see all of our social media aspects on there too. We are hot and heavy track and everything that's going on in this space. So you don't have to worry about it. One source, just come right to us. Well, that's awesome. I look forward to everyone being able to follow Rebecca, being able to see what Numerical is doing. Thanks for everyone out there that's listening to our podcast. This is episode six. So we'll see you on the next episode. Thanks, everybody. Bye. If you like what you're hearing, hit that subscribe button on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Check out our YouTube channel for exclusive clips. Like us, rate us, review us. If you want to hear more on our take on coronavirus, remote work, and contact centers, go to NobelBiz.com and click on webinars to see our recorded on-demand webinars. Thanks for listening to First Contact Stories of the Call Center. My name is Christian Montez, and we'll be back soon with our next episode. This podcast has been hosted by me, Christian Montez, produced, written, and edited by Bogdan Minutes, with co-executive producers Steve Biederman, Lauren Chasson, Christian Montez, Joanne Sabo, and Bogdan Minutes.